Podcast One production. Welcome to Episode 5 of Understate in Plain Sight. We've decided to take down the first four episodes of the series temporarily so as not to prejudice upcoming court appearances for Jonathan Dick. But don't worry, I'm still on this case and will bring you the full story as soon as I can. And believe me, there's so much more of this story to tell of how a fugitive could hide in plain sight for two and a half years. In the meantime, here's the story of how Jono was finally captured, not by the police, but by his own former best friend, whom he'd allegedly tried to kill. At 7.55am on August 19, I was fast asleep. The phone woke me up. It was Danny Camerata, David's wife. We've referred to the Camaratas previously as Danny and David Kay. Danny. Hi. Hi, what's happened? Um, they've just caught John, John, Jonathan. Police had concerns for up to four of Jono's friends while he was on the run. In August 2018, Jono had allegedly attacked David Camerata with a hammer at his home in Melbourne. He'd once been the best man at David's wedding. This had followed the alleged murder of Jono's younger brother, David Dick, in 2017. Dick had been brutally killed with the samurai sword as he emerged from a lift in a suburban shopping centre. At the car park where Jono was arrested, police found another hammer, a knife and other items in a bucket. Danny Camerata. My brother had called the police um, last week and thought he'd seen him. He was positive, um, wearing a disguise. So um, David was on pretty high alert and terrified. And this morning when he's gotten to work with his colleague, um, they spotted him. Where did they see him? In the car park. And so they grabbed him? They, yep. And didn't let him go this time? No, 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 no. They didn't let him go. The call was uh, very frantic. David was shaking and shocked and just uh, relieved. Like, uh, I can't even explain um, what this means for us. Like, I, I can't even explain. I think I know it. Yeah. It took a while for the news to sink in, but my shock soon gave way to joy and relief. One of the country's most wanted men, Jonathan Dick, is under police guard in a Melbourne hospital. The 41-year-old has been on the run for over two years, wanted over the alleged murder of his brother with a samurai sword at a Doncaster shopping centre. We're told uh, he may have been stalking somebody in the city and that's when two men uh, have restrained Jonathan Dick. They were involved in some sort of altercation. Jonathan Dick was left bloodied, his hands cuffed. David Camerata was with police all morning, but finally he got a chance to call and explain what had happened. David, you've been busy. I have been busy. What happened? Basically last week, my brother-in-law rang me frantically because he thought that he'd seen Jono in the car park that both of us actually park in. And um, since that day, I was fairly... um, 
like concerned and the same thing, just vigilant, but even hyper, more hyper vigilant. Sure. I've just been feeling a bit off. And then this morning, I pulled into the car park and Dion just oddly and really weirdly arrived at probably a couple of minutes before me because he was getting out of his car. And I noticed when I got out of my car, there's a guy looking at me from the corner of the car park and I thought, shit, that looks like him. And Dion yelled out to me just to acknowledge that we were both there and we walked together to work. And then I looked back and as soon as I made eye contact, this guy, who's obviously um, him, is uh, turned his head and tried to sort of walk away really fast. So I, um, I yelled to Dion, it's him. And I took off after him and I managed to catch up with him in the alleyway and he had a bike with him. And um, I wasn't 100% sure at first and I'm like, hey. And when he looked at me, he just <clears throat> he shit himself and I don't know if I tried to swing at him or grab him. And um, he took off and then Dion was a bit further down the alleyway and managed to grab him and bring him to the floor. And then um, we basically tried to get him to stop sort of throwing his arms and legs around and Dion ended up getting him in a chokehold and um, called the police. And that was that. Job done. Police found a knife on the scene by the car park. Initially, they thought it was Jono's knife, but it turned out to be David Camerata's. And what about the knife? Um, yeah, that, that was mine. The knife was mine. I see, I, I see. Yeah, so what had happened was, because of what's been going on, I bought that straight after I got hit in the head with the hammer. I don't carry it with me all the time, but every now and again, if I'm by myself in the car park in the morning, it lives in the side of my car door. This morning, I physically grabbed it out with my mobile phone, and then when I saw him, I thought, oh, shit, I don't need this thing because, you know, A, it's dangerous, B, I wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. So I drew it um, as I was running, and then um, I'd actually forgotten about it until I saw the picture on the um, news. So, yeah, that was that. Morning TV news programs carried footage of Jono being led to an ambulance by police. His face was obscured by a mask of his own blood. The phone began to go off with calls and texts. Emma Beatty, Jono's unrequited love from childhood, was one of the first. Emma, what did you hear? Ah, oh, they got him. It's over. Wow. It's, it's so weird. I was in the city last night with my daughter just walking around thinking, you know, he's still out there somewhere. And then 12 hours later, he was probably two kilometres from where I was last night. Just unbelievable. Crazy. You must have had concerns yourself. Uh, yeah, I did. Look, it didn't change the way I live my life uh, day to day. I refused to let him do that to me. But, look, I was definitely looking over my shoulder a lot. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, when we, when we spoke, you were thinking about this day and the future from here. Would you want to reach out to him in any form? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I think, yeah, it's really early to sort of consider it, but yeah, I I don't think that I'll never speak to him or see him again. I don't I don't feel that I'll never see him again. Hopefully he gets the help that he needs now. Gareth Jones had tried to assist Jono years before. His relief that the manhunt was finally over was obvious. Hey Gareth. Yeah. A little bit shell shocked. Um, I'm just relieved is the first thing. Imagine no more every noise you hear at night time, every time you go to put out the bin, go walking to your car, looking over your shoulder, constantly thinking about how your actions and what you're doing. 
Oh, it's a relief. A re- absolute relief. I'll, I'll get a go and see him. I'll tell you in the future I will. I've always said, yeah, I feel like I could talk to him. Yep. I still feel they're separate. And there's so much I want to know why. That one day I will go and talk to him. Yeah. Sort of turning the tables. He was the one coming to you with all the questions back in the day. Oh, um, yes. That's right. There's just so many unanswered questions. You know, what level did he get to? Why has this all happened? Where's he been? How's he been living? What did he know? What didn't he know? Why is he doing what he's been doing? Yeah. Was it only him that he was after, David? Why? Just so many whys. And who is the person been looking after him? That's the, that's the real key. If there, if there has, well, they're going to be caught now. I can't yeah. imagine, you know. Paul Devitt, another childhood friend, didn't quite know how to feel. Well, mate, you can put away the baseball bat. Yeah, what a relief. My chest has opened up. It's hard to describe it, you know. It's, um, I feel free again, but I didn't have any reason not to be free beforehand, you know. <laughs> it's a weird feeling, you know. Oh, it's just a sigh of relief. Like, I can go back to living. I, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to walk in a circle six times to my car in the morning to make sure I've covered all the angles that somebody could jump out from, you know? Like, yeah. It, it, it's, that, that's part I'm happy about. The fact that one of my mates has ended up... It, it, this isn't the person that I became mates with as a kid and, and stood by me whole life, you know what I mean? Like, and, that's, and that makes me feel sad, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's... It's a relief and it's sad at the same time. It's it's real strange kind of emotions, you know. It's like a fucking one tap photo or something. You know what I mean? It's the weirdest feeling. Like it's fucking strange. It really is, you know. Like I feel like I won something. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, but I kind of have. I don't know. It's fucking strange, you know. This week was already looming large for David Camerata and his family. Police were preparing to increase the reward for Jono from $100,000 to $1 million. New footage of the alleged crimes were about to be released and David was nervous. So I tried to reassure him in a text message, saying that I felt this was going to end sooner rather than later. It was a strong feeling, but I had no idea it would come so soon. When people say things like that to me, it's not that I'm dismissive, but I'm like, oh yeah, I wish. And uh, this morning when I was sitting at the police station, <clears throat> when I sent you that message, I'm like, holy shit, he was right. So uh, you, were, you were spot on. I was telling Danny that how excited you were to come back and start getting it out there and it's all done. What's left to understand is where Jono has been for the past two and a half years. I learnt that police believed his last camp was behind Rushall Railway Station, an inner city station that backs onto Merry Creek. It was a tent nestled up against the fence of a community garden. It was partially obscured by brush. It was just metres from a walking track and a busy road. How nobody noticed the fugitive's hut is a mystery. So here I am at the campsite of Jonathan Dick. It's on basically next to a walkway, a little rise just before a community garden here. It's a little lean-to, pretty good serviceable tent. A little fire, wood heap, empty bottles lying around, reflectors, there's food. By day, Jono seems to have moved about quite freely. Police were looking for a long-haired, clean-shaven man. 
but when arrested, Jono's hair was cut short and he'd grown a moustache. There's a home hair kit, I see, recently acquired, I guess, to give himself the haircut that he had. I've also learnt that Jono spent time in public libraries, reading newspapers and possibly accessing the internet to monitor the police investigation. The newspapers inside, the earliest I can find, dates back to the last week of July. So it's, um, he's come back to this camp in recent times, possibly in preparation for what he was going to do next. So there may be other camps yet to find. We know about Mornington Peninsula. We know about regional areas. Um, it could even be that he went back to Wallen somehow. Old places that he knew, possibly. I don't know. But certainly this is not the only campsite. But what's remarkable here is all these people who came to this community garden over two years while this humpy was uh, standing apparently didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Um, that's remarkable, really. And they saw the guy coming and going. He had a bicycle. I mean, he wasn't that hard to distinguish. He must have been amazed himself that he could have lasted this long. His method was highly developed. He stole food from community gardens and dumpsters in the back of shopping centres. He'd taken clothes from charity bins and accessed homeless services at times. He moved up and down the train lines and used bicycle paths to avoid surveillance cameras. As the days passed following the arrest, it appeared less likely that someone was harbouring him. Maybe he wasn't being helped, and we have to come to this conclusion eventually, or at least sway towards it, that Gareth, Gareth Jones, might have been right when he said that this guy is living off the grid, totally. And this is off the grid, I guess. Next to the railway line, there's a toilet nearby that you can have access to, which is good. It's fresh water, I guess. Public transport. Maybe after all, Jono had managed to stay at large all by himself. He'd ranged far and wide in the two and a half years on the run, moving from inner city Melbourne to regional areas, including the Mornington Peninsula. His movements were determined by where he could find food and shelter. Apparently, he never remained anywhere long enough for anyone to recognise him. Now he's in a jail cell awaiting his next court date. In a brief court appearance, Jono, despite bearing signs of his capture, appeared to be in good health, according to The Age. Mr Dick sat impassively in court wearing a black T-shirt and had numerous cuts on his face. He had stitches above his left eye and below his right eye. A lawyer for Mr Dick told the court his client had no mental health issues and was not on any medication. Dick was composed and polite as he answered the magistrate's questions. He said thank you as he was ushered back to the cells where he'll stay until a committal mention on December 10. David and Danny Camerata are relieved and happy that their ordeal is over and that Jono will now face justice, accused of the murder of his brother David Dick and the attack on David Camerata. The thing that really warms my heart, David, is the fact that when we spoke, I could tell how much that regret weighed on you that he managed to escape last time. Yeah, it did a lot. Uh, you know, it'll sink in probably in the next few days, but that I got to close the chapter. And I couldn't have... I mean, Dion's, you know, we basically live together in the same room almost, you know, or every day. So he's my brother, yeah, and to have your brother there to sort of back you up like that and, you know, to potentially put his own life on the line for you is amazing. A couple little injuries, <laughs> nothing, a few beers and an ice pack won't fix. That's, That's it. it. How you feeling? Uh, just 
just in a bit of disbelief. I think I, I, I feel, yeah, I can't relax even now. Like, I feel happy, but I just need to see it for myself that she's in custody because this has been such a nightmare. And, yeah, we couldn't have had a better result. I'm going to continue to follow this amazing story and we'll let you know when we can publish the full account on Podcast One Australia. Thanks for listening. Understate is written and produced by Adam Shand. Audio editing, mixing and original score by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nollywe Shand. Understate is a Podcast One Australia production.